You're listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. Paradox Church is a Jesus-centered community where our motto is, Come as you are, no perfect people allowed. For more information about our service times, location, and to get connected with us, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, Paradox. Doing all right? Halloween. Halloween was last night. It was, uh, isn't it just like 2020? You have a beautiful night and it's 2020. You know? <laughs> so enough 2020. Uh, we had a great time. Hopefully you did too. Glad that you are, uh, are here after hopefully another uh, you know, hour of rest. Uh, it's good to be here together with you all in November. Uh, man, as, as long as 2020 has seemed, it seems like it's gone by fast, too. Uh, as Liz said, you know, we are, we're heading into this election season. By the way, um, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Paradox. I always love being here with you. Uh, grateful that you have chosen to be here and to do that as safely as you possibly can. Those of you that are joining us online, uh, we love you guys. We miss you. And um, we're just glad that you're joining us on, on there as well. Um, it's good to be together um, there are certain times, right? There are certain seasons. We're heading into this election season. And here's one of the things, especially like as, as we're, we're a church. And so we sometimes hear from people, you know, like, oh, all you ever talk about is money. All you ever talk about is sexuality. All you ever talk about is politics. And first of all, no, we don't. All right, that's, that's not the case at all. In fact, there's very little in me that says, you know what I would love to do? You know what I would just love to do in the year 2020 in an extremely divided culture and time? I would just love to talk about politics. Oh, you know what everybody hates? Money. I would just love to talk about that. No, there's these things that just, I I don't wanna go there, all right? I really don't. It's not fun for me. I don't like enjoy that kind of thing. It's certainly not easy. Because we're all coming from such different places here. We're calling this new series that we're getting into now called Indivisible. Indivisible. And for some of us, myself included, I I wonder if we look at a word like that in our pledge. As we look at our pledge of allegiance and we go through the book of Ephesians in the Bible. Ephesians. I look at that word in particular and I go, is that just a pipe dream anymore? I mean, are we, we're indivisible To be quite honest with you, I don't even know if there's anything that unites us anymore. I mean, geez, 
what can you talk about? There's, it's like, forget about seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. You, there's, there's like two degrees of politics anymore. It's like you bring up apple pie and somebody's like, ah, Democrats, Republicans, how? How did it happen? There's so, there's so much that divides us and there's so much tension because I can't even really address this right now without being like, oh my gosh, nobody's laughing. What's going, you know, like, have I already gone too far? You can cut through the tension in, in, in this area with a knife. There's not a whole lot that we agree on these days, it seems. But there is one thing that we do agree on. And I think that we all agree that we want to be united. I mean, find someone that says unity. No, I don't like that idea. I would not vote for that. I don't want to be united. No, everybody wants there to be unity. We all want to be together around something. None of us wants the current reality but what we disagree on is how to actually make that happen. This is a desire that's been planted in us from the very first, from, from the heart of God himself. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, it says that there is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. The New Living Translation puts it, and this is the plan. At the right time, he, Jesus, will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. He is bringing everything together. He's making all things new. And the part of the problem is we often look to the wrong things to accomplish that desire and that plan. What many times we look to our country for, our government, our passion, our, our cause, our political party, or a presidential candidate we actually can only find in Jesus, in this, in the church. So I think about this, every other area. When you think about what brings people together, this summer I was camping with a few friends and uh, one of the things that they thought would be funny to do would be to dress up in these really amazing American flag uh, <laughs> outfits, all right? I'm going to let them rename, remain, they can name themselves later on if they so desire. But they dress up in these American flag outfits and they're walking around the campground with an American flag blasting, I don't know if it was proud to be an American or God bless America or something like that. Obnoxious? Yes. Definitely. Extremely obnoxious, all right? You got to love them. However, you wouldn't think that that would be divisive, would you? I mean, that in itself, I mean, you've got the flag, a song, men in tights. Maybe that's divisive. Maybe that was the part. I don't know. But even that seems to divide. So how do we go about, though, bringing people together? Well, there's these certain, we've, we've gone about this in many different ways in the past. For a long time, it was just sweep things under the It's the don't, the don't talk about it approach. Everything will be fine. Everyone will be unified. If you just don't talk about this stuff, then we can all pretend that everything is great. The problem is 2020 happens and all of the stuff that's inside gets brought to the surface. And before you know it, it's seen. It's there. We can't just not talk about things forever. Here's another approach that, we like, that many people will go to. It's kind of the love it or leave it approach to, to unity. America. Love it or leave it. And maybe we don't say that, but this is, this is one of the approaches that we take. We want to force uniformity onto people. No matter what, what you think, what the problems are, listen, if you see a problem, then you should just get out. Just leave. 
We want to pursue unity, but we end up with unrest. Imagine if I took this approach in my marriage, all right? Gwen, love her or leave her? No. Like, listen, I love her, so that enables me to say, hey, there's a few problems here, you know? And believe me, she would say the same about me. I am not perfect, all right? And just because you look at something or someone that you love and see some imperfection, some problem, doesn't mean that you can't or don't love that person, that thing, that country. I, I want to say this up front. At the beginning of this, this series, I am going to offend you at some point, all right? I'm going to. I hope to be an equal opportunity offender. I really do. I, it is my hope and my sincerest desire that you would leave here today having absolutely no idea how I, how I view things politically, how, how I am going to be voting, and, and certainly not an inclination of how I think you should vote because I wholeheartedly and firmly believe that people can arrive at their decision to, to vote for a person or a cause for many different good reasons, even those that are inspired by this book and a sincere love for and devotion to Jesus Christ. That is not my intention. I am going to offend you. I hope to offend all of you in some way, and I hope to inspire us all to ask the question why we're offended. I love this country. Just because we, we see problems in some things doesn't mean that we don't love it, doesn't mean that we're not a patriot. I remember the first time that I went to Washington, D.C. It is my favorite city in America. And I remember, little eighth grade me, I was on my middle school trip. I was walking down. I still, I could show you the spot on the National Mall where I was. I don't know what it was about this moment that impacted me so much. But I was walking down that, down the National Mall, and I reached this spot, and I look around, and there was something about the atmosphere there. Like just, just the, the history, the tradition, the, just the patriotism, like all of it. The story just gripped me, and I, I said, I'm going to live here someday. Little eighth grade me, you know. I've actually had several opportunities. I don't, I don't know what God's going to do with that in the future. Um, or, or if, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that was. I love it. I've got pictures of D.C. up in my, in, my, uh, in my house. I've always wanted to be involved. I'm very interested in politics and the affairs. I love this country. Grandparents that served in the military. I'm thankful. I'm very proud of that. Fourth of July, love it. Memorial Day. I'm there. I'm with you in this. So this is not a I hate America, things are wrong series. You shouldn't feel that way either. There's a lot of good. There's a lot to love. And there are a lot of problems. It goes both ways. We can focus on only the good and say, no, it's only good. Or we can flip on the flip side, right? We can try to bring unity by saying, no, it's, it's only bad. This is where we get some of our current cancel culture where we want to force uniformity by having everybody think the same thing. And if there's any sort of di di diversity in opinion, that actually needs to go away. We say we want diversity, but actually we want uniformity in these areas. Now, what happens when that gets forced on you? People get afraid, and there's no fear in love. When you're afraid of being canceled, you say, oh man, I'm just not going to say that. I'm not going to go there. What ends up happening is that resentment and anger and frustration and bitterness start building up and it boils out over into the streets. It, it boils out. When you get bumped, if you ever have, have had a bruise, right, there's something that's lying just under the surface, a hurt, a pain, a past, an experience, a thought. And if that gets bumped the wrong way, ouch, 
it's going to come out. We cannot force diversity. We cannot force uniformity. We can't force unity. But how do we get it? As great as this country is, it's not the promised land. It's not the promised land. But God calls a church, God calls people to be unified, to be indivisible, so that people would find love and joy and unity and everything that their soul desires in him. We may be divided in America, but in Christ, we're indivisible. Jesus actually prays this. If you, if you could have Jesus pray something for you, I don't know what it would be today, but when Jesus was facing the cross, he's in the garden, do you know what he prayed for every single one of us? He prayed that we would be unified. John 17, he says, Father, I pray that they would be one just as you and I are one so that the world would know that it is I who sent them. So that. That is why unity is important. It's, that's why the way that we treat each other is so important. The things that we post online is so important. If we can't be unified, how can we tell the world a story of a God who loves us and wants to be unified with us despite such enormous difference between us? That is what we are meant to reflect. So today, I just want to open up with prayer because this is such a hard subject. It's such a sensitive subject. Would you just join me in prayer today? Father God, I just pray the words of that song, God, that our praise would go up as walls come down. God, where there has been walls of division, where there's been walls of hostility, where there's been walls of hardness in our hearts, God, towards each other, towards you, towards others that you created in love, God, would you tear those walls down as we look to you and our praise goes up to you today. Father, we place ourselves under your authority, your rule, your kingship today. Would you be the king of our heart and the king of our country, God? Would you be the senior and most head pastor of our church today? Father, I pray for grace in our hearts. Would you open them up, God, to hear your word, to place ourselves under your word, God? Allow you to be the king of our heart today. And God, would there be grace for the words that are spoken? I pray, God, that they would not be my own. I am broken. I am biased. God, today I just pray that your word would go forth and that it would be met with soft hearts, open to you, open to what you're saying to each one of us. Father, I pray that people, every one of us today, would hear your words, not just mine. And that instead of offense, God, you would bring transformation and love and hope and peace. And most of all, Father, would you bring unity to our church and through it to our, our broken world. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, want to, I keep asking this question, how do we get there, Right? There are four truths. I'm kind of hearkening back to, you know, we, we hold these truths to be self-evident. There are four truths that I believe an indivisible church will hold. 
we hold these four things. And we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians if you want to find that in your Bible. If you brought one, if not, you can download that YouVersion app and you can follow along. If you don't want to do that, you can follow along on the screens or on the computer at home as well. It's going to be on there. But this first truth that we hold that brings unity is this. Our identity is in Christ, not a party. Our identity is in Christ, not a party, not a people group. So much of, of, of what we say, what we think, what we do has to do with who we believe ourselves to be, the thing that is most true about every single one of us. Politicians know this. They call it identity politics. The belief is that if we can get you to, uh, to identify with a certain group, we don't have to go after every single vote. We just have to get the group because you're going to identify with that group. And it's never broad. Identity politics always take us to the extremes of things. You are your group. This is the identity politics of our age. It, what it does is it takes me back to high school, and that's usually not a good thing because I know this is going to be very, very surprising to you. Uh, I was not particularly cool in high school. I know, the shock. I can hear it ripple throughout the room right now. I was not that cool. In fact, like high school is a time where I'm trying on different identities. Um, and, you know, I, you, you, you try out uh, the jock identity, and that, well, that one goes away pretty quickly uh, when you're me because, you know, I'm not, I'm not any, you know, well, you can see me. Uh, I was not a jock, okay? Um, so there goes that identity. You know, it, I end up kind of in this, like, punk-type world. I don't know if you were around in the 90s. You know, do you remember the punks? We, we called them freaks back then. That's probably not very nice now. But, like, that was the identity that, like, I wanted to try on was this, like, hey, you know, I don't like, oh, you don't like me? Well, actually, I don't like you. That was this identity that I was, I was trying on. Uh, but I even think of, like, the movie Mean Girls, you know, ashamed to, to admit I've seen that. Um, <laughs> but Mean Girls, right, you know, she goes into, into the lunchroom and looks around, and there's, you know, there's this group, and there's that group. There's... All of this is based on our identity. We tend to identify with the group of people that we are in. Now, that always ends up bringing division, doesn't it? Because it pits this group against that group. You're not a part of this, therefore we don't like you. We don't, know, we don't want to associate with you and your kind and your people. Identity politics is always going to bring out the worst and bring more division. When we identify ourselves as part of a group, there's always going to be people in and people out. It's very exclusive. Our identity as an indivisible church comes from Jesus Christ. Listen to what the, what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 17. It says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What you see, what's very, very obvious, no, 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 that's not necessarily the thing that's most true about them. It may be true, but it's not most true. We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He wasn't just his body. That's what this is saying. Jesus was so much more. The truest thing about him was not what you and I could see. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We don't regard people just on what we see. The Old Testament says that God does not see the way that people see. We look at flesh. We look at performance. God looks at the heart. There's something bigger. There's something more true about us than what people would see. And how many of us fall victim to this mentality today? That we are what you see. Your identity is in your party. or Maybe not yours, but someone else's. You are this. You are a party. You are an ideology. You are a place or country of origin. You are a skin color. You are a sexuality. So many of these things we take now and we say, that is our primary identity. The thing that is most true about us. And because that is most true, that affects our perspective, our people, our voting, our actions, our habits. Everything else about us flows out of what we, to be, we believe to be most true about who we are. But listen to what Galatians 3 says about this very thing. How are you? Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 29 says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The, the old div dividing lines are no longer true. The, the people groups that you once affiliated with are not the ones that define you any longer. There are not boundaries of in and out anymore. Because when you're in Christ, there's something more true about you than all of these things. It says in verse 29, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What does that mean? There was actually a group of people in the Bible uh, called the Pharisees who really were starting to believe that God's chosen people were a people group, Israel, and Israel only. And so it wasn't enough to be right with God, you had to become part of our group. You had to become part of Israel, a, an offspring of Abraham. That was what it really was about. It's identity politics at its finest. If you want to be good with God, you got to be good with us. Jesus comes in and he says, no, no, you're missing the point completely. Anyone who is in Christ, actually, is, is, one of the, is one of the heirs of Abraham. Anyone who is in Christ, that's what's most true about you. Not the place that you were born. Not the color of your skin. Not anything you have done or will do in the future. It is this and this alone. In Christ, through faith. That is what defines us. Our identity is in Christ. I want to ask you today, what is the thing that you would say is most true about you? What is the most true thing? As you flip through this, I said that we were going to be in Ephesians. If you just read through the entire first chapter, I just want to say, 
pretty much every verse has a verb that is true about you in Christ. You are loved. You are chosen. You are blessed. He's lavished his grace upon us. You've been adopted into his family. These are the things that are true about not only you, but guess what? About every single other person. When we regard someone according to the flesh, according to their beliefs, according to their voting record, or their political party, or their race, or their sexuality, when we say, that is the thing that is most true about you, and that is how I, what, what will determine how I feel about you, we miss the point. Your identity is in Christ. I want to say today, if you, if you have based your identity on anything else, I want to invite you home today to place your faith, your trust, and to find your truest identity in the one who created your soul today. The one who gave up his life for you to bring you into relationship with, it, with you. He's not setting up walls of division to keep you out, rules to hold you back. No, he's breaking them down. He tore the veil to invite you in and adopt you and I as sons and daughters so that we could find our identity in him and him alone and that that would result in unity and relationship with God himself first and a good and right relationship with everyone else. When we find our identity in Christ, our relationship with him becomes indivisible. And when we view others as in Christ, our relationship with them can be indivisible as well. Here's what it leads, it leads us to. Instead of our group determining our identity, our identity then determines our group. Our identity starts to determine our group. The second thing that we hold it's an indivisible church, is that our citizenship is in heaven, not just a country, not primarily a country. Our citizenship is in heaven. We talk a lot about, about citizenship these days. Who gets to be in? Who gets to be out? How they get to be in? What will keep them out? Our citizenship, though, is in heaven. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are blessed in a place other than right here, other than what is obvious, other than what we see and experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Our citizenship, where we have our stuff, is in heaven. It's where we have our blessing. And, you know, I think about where you're from. I'm, I like to say I'm from, I'm from Detroit, not only, you know, if, if I'm not here. If I'm, if I'm here, I don't say I'm from Detroit. If I'm somewhere else, I say I'm from Detroit. If I'm here, I say I'm from the east side. I'm an east sider, right? Now, what that means to me, like, there's, there's a certain ethos. Yeah, I, some of us know this, you know. There's kind of like North Hall Road, north of 696. There's south of 8 Mile, there's east side, there's west side. And all of these kind of represent a certain where you're from ethos. And to me, there's this east siderness of like, man, it's, it's blue collar, it's hard work. It's Budweiser on a weekend. Maybe it's country, maybe it's a barefoot blue jean night, you know, kind of thing. Like, there's, there's a certain degree of like, yeah, that's who I am. That's where I come from. And I identify with that, you know? But if you think about where you are from, it's this thing that shapes your perspectives often. Sometimes it'll shape your view of people, how you interact with them, what you say, 
You know, I, I hang out with a lot of people uh, from Texas, actually. We're, we're part of this Antioch movement of churches uh, originally founded in, in Texas. And so there's a whole lot of y'all that now comes out, you know, because where you're from shapes so much about you. It's, it's made me hate saying pop, to be honest with you. It sounds weird now, but I can't stop saying it. You know, it's just, it's where I'm from. That's one of the things that gets affected by where you are from. It also determines your loyalty. What are you most loyal to? What do you most cheer for? Maybe some of you were very, very happy to cheer for your loyal place that you are from in Michigan State yesterday. One person is. <laughs> right? The rest of us are, are loyal and sad today <laughs> because it just, it just won't stop. Um, anyway, we have these places that we're from, and it shapes our feelings. It shapes our perspectives. It shapes what we're cheering for. And listen to what 1 Peter chapter 2 has to say about where we're from. If our citizenship is in heaven, if our loyalty is in heaven, if our perspective is heavenly, 1 Peter 2 verse 9 to 11 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We regard ourselves as a nation. When we say one nation, what do we think of? What is the hope? Where is the place that we are from? Where, is our, where does our loyalty lie? The Bible says you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. I love this line. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. We all want to fit in, don't we? It's uncomfortable for me anyway to go somewhere and feel like I'm, I'm a soldier. I'm just passing through in exile. I'm on the outside of this. But that's exactly what we're called to. I urge you as sojourners and exiles, if you find your citizenship in a place other than here, then you are a sojourner, which means that you are merely passing through. You're not from here. You're not around, from around these parts. You're from somewhere else and you're going somewhere else. You're here temporarily. I urge you, sojourners, exiles, people without a home, refugees, maybe, could be said, when we talk about immigrants, sojourners, exiles, refugees, how many of us think of ourselves in this way? If we are people that don't have our citizenship here, how does that change the way that we interact with and feel about our country? Do we love it? Yeah. It's a great place. Problems, sure. We can be loyal to our country, though, without ultimately saying, this is our home, this shapes who we are, this is our hope, this is where we're going. Our citizenship isn't here. It is in heaven. And that means if we are sojourners, if we are exiles, there are things about us that are going to look and feel different. So many of us live our lives just trying to fit in, not trying to look too weird. We don't want to stand out. Listen... Somebody has an accent, you're going to notice it, right? It just comes out. It's just, you can't even help it. If, we, if our citizenship is in heaven, 
we will naturally, we should naturally look different than everyone else around us. That should just come out. We're people of faith. We're people of peace. We're people of unity, right? We look, we, we, we act, we talk differently. We respond differently than the people around us. We organize and rhythm our lives differently than everyone else in the culture around us. We value different things than the people around us. This is part of the hope. This is part of the message. It goes on to say, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. This is, these are people that would not be in your people group, Israel in this in instance. Keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. People should look at us and go, oh man, but they do good. And it must be because they're, from, they're not from around here. They have a different God. And that's the third thing that we hold onto as an indivisible church whose citizenship is not here, but it's in heaven. Our power is in a person. Ephesians 1.18 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with, I don't know, that doesn't make any sense. I must, not, I must have wrote that down wrong. Anyway, our power is in a person. Can we just go back, get, go back to that? Have you ever thought about what's, what's in a name? What's in a name? Maybe you've done something in somebody. Have you ever name dropped with somebody? You know? You've gone in and said, hey, do you know who I am? Or I know, I know so-and-so, right? Because there's power in a name. But so many of us think that the power comes from a position. We're, we're governed in our country by a house of representatives. Now, the power is not in that position alone. If I walked in to the house and said, I'm going to be a representative now, I hold this position, I hold this office, there would be no power in it. Why? Because I'm not doing it in anyone's name. The power comes in who you represent. The power only comes when a group of people say, I want you to represent us. That doesn't always happen nowadays. We're out there just holding a position when really we're called to represent someone else as an ambassador. The Bible actually refers to us as ambassadors. I'll get to that in a second, in 2 Corinthians. But I think about all the times, you know, sometimes my, my, my wife Gwen will call up a company, true moment, uh, sorry, uh, don't, don't judge, she'll call up a company or something or a bank uh, and say, hello, this is Dave Kubiak. I need to conduct some business. And they'll always say, like, this is Dave. And she's like, yeah, what of it? You know, because it doesn't sound like me. Uh, but they don't know that. They don't need to know that. Un unless you're listening out there. Sorry, banks, um, today. But there is power. When Gwen does my will in my name, there is power in that. She is a representative of me. She is my ambassador. Now, if you do your will in my name, that's called fraud. Okay? You can't do your will in my name. You have to do my will in my name. That's what makes you a representative of something or someone. I said that I was going to read 2 Corinthians. I want, to, I want to make good on that promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 18, says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... 
<laughs> it's a sign. All right. That is, um, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us this message. He's entrusted. He's given us something to do. His will, his work. Therefore, verse 20, get this, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. We are ambassadors. We are representatives. So many times, you know, like I'll show up at Thanksgiving, a family party, a get-together with friends. Someone will say, oh, somebody needs to pray for the food. Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave, will you pray? Will you invite Jesus? Listen, first of all, he's already here. Second of all, you know him too. You know, like I don't, I don't have to invite him to your house. You can invite him to your house, right? You're not just regular people, you and I. When we are in Christ, when we find our identity in Christ, when our, we say our citizenship now because of that is in heaven, we cease to be regular people with our own agenda and will, and we now become representatives of Jesus. God making his appeal to the world through us. This is a high responsibility. I don't want to be a fraud. I don't want to do my will in Jesus' name. What kind of brokenness, what kind of hurt, what kind of division happens when Christians do their own will in the name of Jesus? That should, that should bring great pause to us right now. If God is making his appeal through us, then we should be really, really cognizant of whether or not this is God's appeal. Who are we representing? Who are we making a name for? Are we, are we interested in making a name for ourselves, for our company? Paradox, are we, are we interested in making a name for paradox? No. As a follower of Jesus... I want to be about making a name for Jesus. I am his representative, his ambassador, which means I have his agenda and I'm after his name being glorified. I want the appeal to be to people to be reconciled to God, to live in unity with him and others through that. What if we spent less time and energy and money making the name of a candidate known? What if we spent less of our time on social media making the name of a candidate known or the truth as we see it known? What if we were less concerned about making America great again and more concerned, more passionate about making the name of Jesus great again? I'm going to sit in that one for a second. Again, remember, equal opportunity offense here, okay? Equal opportunity What if that was our concern and our passion, to make the name of Jesus? What if that affected every single thought that we had, every single action that we did? I'm not saying let's go around and just, oh, what's a sin? I can't do this. I can't do that. Be less concerned about that. What makes Jesus' name great? How can we show love? How can we bring glory and honor to his name with our thoughts, with our actions, the way that we treat our neighbors? Yes, that neighbor the way that we treat them. Yes, even with our votes. What if we, what if we just took it to Jesus? I'm actually trying to do that this, this year. I don't know that I've ever really done it before. Just like go to Jesus and say, God, 
what, what, what do you want me to do? What would be the best thing? What would make your name great? There's not a perfect candidate. There's not. So Jesus, what's, what's going to glorify you? What's going to make your name great? And I'm, I'm, I'm going to vote, and I want to vote that way, whatever it is. And maybe he'll say something different to you. I don't know. I want to encourage you to vote. And I want to encourage you to go to God with that vote. Say, God, how can, I, with every single thing, including this, this circle that I'm about to fill in, would you make your name great? I want to be about that. In the coming days, because I don't, I don't, I don't think that any one of us believes that next Sunday... We're all going to be hunky-dory. We're going to have a new president, and everybody's going to be happy. If anything, it's going to be a little bit more tense. How are you going to be feeling then? If your candidate wins, you going to be doing victory laps? Are you going to be doing I told you so's? Your candidate loses. Maybe you'll be disappointed, but are you going to be devastated? Are you going to cry? Think about why that might be. No matter what your response might be, why is that? It may lead you to this fourth thing. Our hope is in a king, not a president. Our hope is in a king, not a president. 50% of us, at least, are going to be disappointed. Probably more. You start counting third parties. Probably more. I hope that we're not devastated. The results of an election, a confirmation hearing, a vote on, a, on an issue or a law. So many of the political ads that are coming at us right now are, here's what's going to happen if, if so-and-so gets elected. Better do this. If so-and-so get, gets elected, if this person gets, gets confirmed, man, get ready, because X, Y, and Z is going to happen the apocalypse. I think that most of us know that that's probably not true. Far less of what is being told to you is actually going to happen or be true, both on the good and the bad side. We all know that politicians make promises. Promises of what they'll do and promises of what will happen. Most of that's probably not true. But let's just play a game for a second. What if it is? What if it is? Again, keep in mind, I'm thankful for our country. I love our country. But what if the candidate that gets elected destroys it? Kingdoms have come and kingdoms have gone. Empires have risen and empires have fallen. And throughout not hundreds of years, but thousands, thousands of years, perhaps longer, since the beginning of time, Jesus Christ has still sat on the throne. He has. Jesus has sat on the throne. Jesus has been in control from the beginning, and he's going to be in control until the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who is in control of everything, even when it doesn't look the way that you and I want to. His his plans, his purposes, his thoughts are higher than ours. We, we, we might say, how could it possibly be that this candidate, how could God allow this? Listen, God has used evil people. He's broken people. Just because God allows something doesn't mean that they're great. 
But God is going to accomplish his purposes. He's going to accomplish his plans, regardless of whether the United States of America exists or not. I hope that we do. There's a lot to love here. But if not, my hope is in Jesus, not a president and not a country. In Ephesians chapter 1, again, just to end up here, it says that we are to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above any rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Church, paradox, those who say my identity is in Christ, my citizenship is in heaven. Your hope is in a king. Remember that this Tuesday and every day to follow because Jesus still sits on the throne. Let's pray. Father God, we just we give ourselves to you. We want to be an indivisible church Father, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your name would be glorified, and that when people see us and experience us, your church, God, that we would be different, that we would be drawn into another story, another world, another place, God, a place of unity, a place of love, a place where identity is so much more than what we look like or what we have done or not accomplished. God, we pray that your kingdom, the place and ways where your rule, your will is done, would come here to America on Tuesday for the next four years until your kingdom comes, God. Would you do your will here? I pray that you would do it, that you would make your appeal through us, your representatives, your ambassadors, God. That we would look like your son, Jesus, that we would be about your purposes, your plans, your agenda, and not our own. Give us grace. Give us humility, God. May we be people who are indivisible in your church, who bring unity to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. If you want more information about us or to just get connected, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We would love to hear from you.